Take your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, I've been out for a couple of weeks and haven't been able to be up here, so we paused on our sermon series uh, talking about God's letters to the church. He wrote these letters literally from the heart of God straight to these churches and uh, pouring his heart into these things that they were facing and going through and challenges that they had. And uh, just he, he wanted to make them better. He wanted to help them. And this is so vitally important for us to understand. So uh, we're on message number five, church number five out of seven churches. So we're nearing the end. So Revelation chapter three, verse one. I, uh, through this time uh, of being out with my wife, uh, was diagnosed with COVID. And so we had a couple of weeks that we were just quarantining for, with, from everybody. And uh, during that time, we were still able to work in the yard and do a number of things. And uh, we, we decided to do a, a work day in the yard, and we divided up everything between uh, all the equipment that we had. So I pulled out my lawnmower that I had, and then we had two lawnmowers, and we're getting everything done. Uh, I, I wanted a really good lawnmower because when I, we lived in our last house, I had this uh, lawnmower that was donated to me. It was, it was great. It was used. It was beat up. It still worked. It was my first house. I'd never had a house. I had a small yard. The guy said, you're going to need a lawnmower. And I know how expensive it is when you first get started. So he gave me the lawnmower. And so I, I was going out for 12 years. I used that old uh, hand-me-down lawnmower. It was great. So when we bought our new house, uh, we had a much bigger property as for we had a corner lot. And I told Jenny, I said, I'm going to go get a really good lawnmower. I said, I want something that just has power. I want something that's not going to bog down on me. So I've got a Husqvarna. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Difficult name. Uh, That's not my exact lawnmower, but it looks just like that. I was excited. I went in there and the guy was like going down the line. He said, well, this one does this. So uh, this one does this until we got to like one of the end ones. It had the self-propelled. It had the big wheels on the back. It had uh, the bigger motor on it. It had the bagging, all those other stuff. I said, dude, that's the one that I want. I haven't had a new lawnmower ever in all my life. So we'd been going through the motions of having that thing. So we're six years into using it. And I, I noticed along the way that the more that I was using it, the harder it was to use. And and just recently, I I was out there, and I was pushing through, and I get done, and I was telling the kids, I said, it's exhausting. Now, I said, I don't know if I'm just getting old, and of course, they agreed to that statement, and I'm like, if things are just harder to use, and then one day, I was out there, the last time that I used it, I stopped, and I picked up the wheels, and all of a sudden, I noticed my self-propelled wheels were doing nothing, (laughs) nothing. There was no, and I'm like, what? I said, all this time, and you know the crazy thing about it is? I don't know when I lost the power. I don't know when it quit working. Because as it was losing its power, I just was pushing through and I'd make it happen. So everybody around me would look at me and say, wow, look at that lawnmower and everything's happening and nothing's wrong. But on the inside, it had lost the power that it was designed to have to push through the difficulty to make life what it was supposed to be. He said, what in the world does your dumb lawnmower have to do with our lives? everything. And this passage in uh, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus is talking to the church. When Christians become Christians, it's not because they get baptized. It's not because they walk in a church. It's not because they go through classes or anything else. It's because the Spirit of God breathes into your life and makes that which was spiritually dead become that spiritually alive. 
And all of a sudden, that working of the Spirit of God is so powerful. And I don't say that in a weird way because sometimes when we start talking about the Spirit of God, we get all weirded out because the Spirit of God is the presence of God with us, the working of God around us, but we can't physically see it. Jesus, they could see. And God the Father made his presence known to them through different ways. But the Spirit of God, it's like the working of God all around us, but it's not something tangible that I could come up and see. When you get saved, the Spirit of God doesn't just make you alive in Christ. He indwells in your life to do a work in your life. He doesn't just show up to be there. God designed us to have a power in the presence of God to get through life. And let me tell you, this presence, and you say, how weird is that when you're talking about it? It's not like we become Marvel superheroes, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to make this weird. But I am going to tell you that there is something that God works through us through the wisdom of God and the peace of God to be able to communicate and connect in a way that we naturally could not do in of ourselves. It's the same thing in church. There, there's the presence of God. There's the working of God. There's the preaching of the word of God and God working through those things. Sometimes we start losing that power of God. But we still push through. People say, man, I, I, I'm worn out and I'm exhausted. I, I, I thought church was supposed to be powerful. I thought this was supposed to make a difference. I thought it was supposed to be fulfilling. But on the outside, everything can look great. On the outside, we can look like a church or look like a Christians, but on the inside, something is missing. This is exactly what's going on in this church. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, and that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Now I want us to read this in context. Dead, he's talking to the church. And let me tell you, anytime the Bible talks about the church, the Bible is talking about those that are saved. I know today we could say that I go to this church and it's uh, your name's on a roll or whatever. It's not talking about that. When the Bible talks about the church, it means those who were saved, called out body of believers that were changed by the Spirit of God. So with this is not talking necessarily about people that are spiritually dead and the fact that they're not saved. It's the same illustration, but a different application. These are people that are saved and on the outside... Everything that was needed to make them look alive was there. He said it like this. He said, thou hast a name. That, that, thou hast a name. It means that you have a reputation. Your reputation is that you are alive. If somebody was to talk about you or talk about the church, they would say, man, that guy has it or that church has it. The First Baptist Church of Sardis, if you will, in this passage, had a reputation when people would talk about it. They'd be like, oh yeah, I know that church. Man, they have an awesome VBS and they have this outreach and this program and they do this picnic. And man, they're alive. Maybe it's the same definition, but it's that of a church or, 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 or that of, uh, of an individual. People talk about you and say, man, they're so active and they'd never miss a service. And man, they're involved in this and that. They have all these things going on. Busy. Involved, active, but dead. Talk about a weird word. Look at verse 31 again. He said, I, I, the second part of that, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, thou hast the reputation that thou livest. But Jesus said, thou art dead. That'd be a hard thing to hear. I've got, got to remind you why he's writing this is for the fact that he wants us to understand. 
Jesus is writing to this church that has an internal problem, but on the outside, everything looks good. And that can be scary. It's the same thing, you know, for somebody physically. It's like the doctor says, man, we took some tests and some things are not great with your, your lab work or whatever, but say, hey, but I, I, look at me, I'm healthy, I'm strong or whatever. And that's the way that we can be sometimes in life. But spiritually speaking, he's looking on the inside saying something's not right. The eyes of God, you're more like the lawnmower. You're pushing through and you're making it happen, but you're missing out on the power that should be indwelling in your life to make it happen. So what is Jesus teaching them? What is this all about? So here it is, Jesus writing this letter to the church. He says, dear church, you can't do it without me. Dear church, you cannot do it without me. The key to this is all about how Jesus addresses himself in these passages. If you notice, every one of the letters of the church, he starts off with his letters, but he will say something that identifies his character or what they're missing or who he wants to be in their life. Starts off Revelation 3.1, and he says, These things say of the seven spirits of God. Now, let me clarify. There's not seven (laughs) spirits of God. But in context, there are seven stars, seven candlesticks, seven angels, you remember, and there's seven churches. So when he's writing to them, he's writing in context saying every one of these churches have one thing in common. That is the spirit of God that makes them alive. It's, it's not their organization. It's not their program. It's not, so he's, and when he addresses, he says there's seven spirits of God or the seven powers that make these things happen. Before the Spirit of God, man, you talk about that word dead. There's no life. There's no way that you can save yourself. There's no way that you can make yourself alive. You cannot change your condition. I'm not going to preach on that now, but let me just say, for anybody that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, and you say, man, I'm trying to be a good person, or I went to church, or man, I give a lot. I try to do a lot in the community. Your good works cannot change your dead condition can't. And I think the reason why the Bible describes us is before we were were saved, when Jesus was saying it, verily, verily, I say unto you, this is Jesus talking about our condition. He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come to condemnation, but is passed, listen to this, from death unto life. Think about what Jesus was saying. You were dead Literally meaning you had no ability to change you or save you before this. You know why God talks in terms like this? Because God wants us to get it. We're, we're visual. Are, are you guys like me? I'm a visual person. I, I, I understand things, man. Just draw it out. Show me. Point to it. You know, because sometimes, and in the doctrinal terms of what God was saying when he was telling us, he said, let me tell you where I found you. Let me tell you where you were when you said, man, I couldn't change my life. I couldn't fix my marriage. I, 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 I tried to become a better person and turn over a new leaf and all these other things we say. And God looks at us and says, well, let me tell you what the problem was. You were dead. You had no ability of yourself. Nobody in a casket just rises up and says, I'll fix this. You cannot fix it without God. So the Spirit of God came into your life and he breathed into your life life and you became alive. I like to look at it this, if that spiritual illustration, wherever you were the day that you accepted Jesus Christ, that EKG, spiritual EKG machine in your life literally went, and God, I believe that you are the son of God, and it went boop, boop, boop. 
<laughs> it's like all of a sudden, the same way when Adam was created by God, and the Bible says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. What was Adam before God breathed into his life? A pile of dirt. He was nothing. He was, he was nothing more than a pile of dirt there. And, and you look at that and say, do something with your life or become something. You're like, I can't. Until God knelt down in his life and breathed into him something that only God could do. Let me explain this right here. When God says, you cannot do it without me because the spirit is life. Taking you on a journey through this, you have to understand in Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, he said, these things saith he that have the seven spirits of God. That word spirit, defining it, breaking it down, understanding what he was saying, what, what, was, what was missing in them. The word spirit is a current of air. It means breath or breeze. It's the, the soul of man. Just like when God created Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, what made Adam a living soul was the spirit of God. It changed everything. What makes a church alive? Let me just put it like this. I do a survey, and you guys can put it in the comments if you're watching online or you're personally here in the service right now. How many of you guys could say you understand this concept? I know the difference between a church that is dead and a church that is live. Raise your hand. Let me just get a survey. You say, I know the difference. You can put your hands on. If I was to go around the room right now or you were to type in the comments right now and be able to say, I know what it is. Man, when the Spirit of God is working and it's not just a structure, it's not just a building with a title, it's not just programs, but man, when the preaching is there, God works in my heart. God speaks to my heart and mind. Something is working and alive in that room. The worship is different, the classes are different, and the fellowship is different. It's different. Preaching, the Bible talks about the word of God is quick and powerful. It is alive. It goes out, convicts hearts, open eyes, shakes us up, moves us, works in us. The spirit of God is the life of a Christian. Did you guys hear that? The spirit of God is the life of a Christian. What makes you alive today? Paul said it like this. This is my life verse. Galatians 2.20. Paul said this. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Literally meaning I identify with everything that Christ did on the cross. That my sins nailed him to a cross. I am cru crucified with Christ. Then he says this word. He says, nevertheless. So let me, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't stop there. Don't leave me dead. Nevertheless. I what? I live. Nevertheless, I am alive. Nevertheless, I live. You sit there and say, what does that mean? It literally means that something active is in my life. It's no longer Tony Liuzzo. It's no longer going through the motions. It's no longer about being empty. I am alive. Nevertheless, I live. And yet not I. Don't sit there and say, man, look at what I do. And I push through. I make class happen. I make my family happen. Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And this life, which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer me. 
It's no longer what I do. It's no longer how I push through. It's no longer how I make it happen. It's no longer that. The life which I now live by the Spirit of God, now there's a power, there's a motive, there's action, there's a spirit. I am alive in God. Which literally means for us, let's just spell this out. If I'm alive in God and it's in my life, then man, something should be alive in my marriage. There should be something powerful there. There should be something powerful in church and in your teaching and in your witness. Makes us alive. I don't think we understand how much God was illustrating this, this illustration of being dead. Being lifeless, when he was talking about them and their, how they were in the spirit, not the outward appearance of the spirit. I wish we could illustrate this in such a way where you could say, man, I wish I could see what God was seeing with them. I have an illustration, so just be patient with me if this is really dumb, okay? All right? Sometimes I just do dumb things, but I, I identify sometimes, so I have a dummy to help me. This time it's not Pastor Dave because he wasn't available, but... Here's... I need to give this dummy a name. So, I wasn't joking. I literally meant a dummy. So this, dude, pull up your pants. We're on Facebook Live right now, man. Sorry. He doesn't know better. So this is, let's just call, let's call him John, all right? We're close, so act like it, all right? So let's just... I understand here. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys, visually speaking, let's walk over here. Visually speaking, there is no life to this guy. And I think if we're to understand what God was saying when we're talking about to be dead in Christ, or spiritually speaking of what God was saying, this is it. God was literally saying in this aspect of what he's saying is if I was to, for you to see what I see, stand right here. There's no life. Let me say this is how it is with God. Where everything that happens, that happens to those that are dead in Christ, this is it. And let me just point this out. When there's nothing active going inside of you and you stand up and say, hey, we're going to worship the true living God and we're going to praise the name of Jesus. And man, God is worthy of our praise. This is the worship leader doing this the whole time. He's trying to drag us into worship to sit there and say, worship God, worship God. In reality, there's nothing there. Nothing. The wife gets up and says, honey, we should go to church. We should be more involved. We should, we, we, I, I really want to go to church in the morning. Honey, do you think we should get up? This is, the husband, this is the wife right here, literally dragging. That which is dead, has no life in itself. Sit there and say, well, how long is it going to be? And how long is he going to preach? And what do we have to put out with? Dead! There's no life. Everything when it comes to somebody that is dead spiritually has to be drug into everything, propped up and motivated by somebody else because there's nothing inside of you to make it happen. Getting your Bible. Man, let's stand up and worship. Man, are we going to say those same words over again? Let, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's have a prayer meeting. Honey, I don't want to. Go. It's just everything has to be drug. Say, that's a dumb illustration. I just wonder with God. Why do I have to drag you into everything? Why do I have to prop you up and make you do it? And there's nothing inside of you to make you have any desire of yourself. What is wrong when you have to be drugged, propped, promoted, sing out? Let's sing out. Hey, if we're praising the name of Jesus, you should be going hoarse by the time we're done praising the name of Jesus. 
We're not singing about some dead God or dead religion. We're singing about the God that saved us from hell, redeemed us, changed us, revived us. We have to be prompted to say and praise the name of Jesus. What's wrong with us? I'm not saying spiritually speaking is for being saved, but I'm saying spiritually when he's saying, when it comes to your active involvement of the things of spiritual, God says, if I don't drag you into it, or somebody doesn't drag you into it or prompt you up, there's nothing there. I'm going to drag John off because you guys will stare at him the whole time. Dead. There's nothing there. There's nothing active on the inside. You know what God was saying? It's important that you check your vitals. It's important that you check your vitals. Let's, let's do that mentally this morning. Let's bring this home to us. When it comes to your, your, your worship, are you dead or alive? There's something actively, man, man, I love those words. And I love talking about God. And man, that's me. And that was me. And man, God's changed me. And man, God is good. Is it something like that? Or you're just standing there zoned out? How is it when it comes to your, your relationship with God this week? Were you drawn to the Spirit of God? Were you drawn to the Word of God? Were you drawn to hear preaching? Has it been active in your life? See, the Spirit of God is life. But here's the second thing. The Spirit of God is power. In Acts 1, when he, 8, when he was talking about the Spirit of God, this is when they first really started hearing it. He said, but ye shall receive power. From what? After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Do you understand from the very beginning it was the power of God? It was, it was never man. It was never us. I, I, I taught this before in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and the earth with his outform and void and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That word spirit there in that passage is the word ruach. It's the breath of God or the spirit of God. Literally when there was nothing going on and the world was just a void or a blob just like Adam was just dirt the Spirit of God came out and began to form and do what man could not do. Only God could have the power to bring things together and make them happen. You say, how does a church come together? Because of the Spirit of God makes it happen. How does your marriage come together? Because the Spirit of God does it. There's a power greater than you that makes things happen. But you know, here's us today. Our Christian life, our marriages, our parenting is me with that lawnmower. Man, I don't it's not, wow, I've heard the stories about how great God is, but it's just, it's just tough. It's exhausting. It's difficult. It doesn't work. Yeah, oh, you got the grass, and yeah, but let me tell you, I don't know, man. It's just, it looks good, but I tell you, just, there's, there's no power in it anymore. It's exhausting. That word power in Acts 1-8 gets broken down into two main concepts. Two main concepts. It, it literally means a divine force. If you were here when we did Acts, the book of Acts, and we were talking about catching fire and the, the, the birth of the church and the Spirit of God going out in Acts chapter 1 and 2 in that passage, is powerful. It's a study of this, and, and it talked about this, this divine force. It was like a wind, and I, I put up the pictures of the tree, if you'll remember, about how the tree would be moved back and forth, literally swayed and pulled in the windstorm or whatever, a hurricane or a tsunami, and it's just something powerful that you can't actually see the wind, but it has the power to move and change. 
God has the power to move in our hearts. It's not you, if God raises you to shout or say amen or raise your hands or tears coming down or just sing out for you or whatever God leads you to do. It's not you. It's the Spirit of God working around you. And I said, that, that just is weird. If I was to ask them right now to take the ceiling fans and then crank them all the way up, it would change the whole atmosphere of this room. Change the temperature. Change the feel of it. God was literally saying, when I am present, when I am thriving, when I am there, things will not be the same. But if people can come into a room where the Spirit of God is working in all of us, or should be working in all of us, and they come in, and they go out, and they never experience anything of miraculous power, something's wrong. And I'm not saying weird, yeah, and I know there's a lot of emotional, I'm not talking about it. I'm talking straight what the Bible says, something active, present, changing. It's not just a divine force. The Bible describes it as miraculous power. Literally to the point, Acts 8.11, or Romans 8.11, when he was describing us being saved, it says the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead now resides in us. It does what man cannot do. We see a world where marriages are struggling or parents are struggling or people are just depressed and, and scared or whatever it is. And you're saying, man, what could change things? Only the Spirit of God can change things. To the point where you say that is impossible. You realize that everything that God loved to do from Peter walking on the water to anything else that you could use as an illustration, it's when man says that can't be done and God says, let me show you what I can do. It's the power of God. It's, that's not, it's not just a divine force, but miraculous power to do what man cannot do. And I tell you, there should be something working in the service and working in your life that is greater because of the fact is the Spirit of God is working through all these things. You say, wait a minute, we're not talking like this. God's talking about a church that was very active and involved, but they were spiritually dead on the inside because they had all these things going on. You realize that you can have a church that has a million programs and no life change? You can, you can have a marriage that goes 25 years, but it's dead as, as can be. You can have a family that looks all spit and polished, and they, they post the most beautiful pictures on whatever, and on the inside, they, they, they could be just nothing but fighting and division and empty all the time. You can have Christians that show up for work and they look the part and they invite everybody, but on the inside they never pray and they don't have any desire for the things of God. You see, it wasn't just, hey church, you can't do this without me. The thing that he was driving to is, hey church, do you see the problem? He said in Revelation 3.1, when he says at the end, it was like a doctor coming in. <clears throat> he ran the test. He says, I know what's going on in the end. I've checked all your vitals. I've checked your blood work. And I just hate to put it like this. He said, you have a reputation in the fact that you are alive, but I'm just going to hit you hard with it. You're, you're, you're dead. It's from the master doctor saying this to the patient. Jesus saying this to the church. You're dead. Jesus also said this in another way before this. He said in John 15, 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do what? For without me, you can do nothing. I know we say that a lot, but we don't intentionally do this. But this is what happens. I was created by God. 
to produce fruit. It was literally what comes out of my life is the things of God. It's, it's life change and, and, and people following all these things. that should, That's why he says, without me, if you're tapped into the vine, you'll be able to produce fruit. So here's my life, spiritually what God's saying. I walk with God. I'm walking with God. I tapped into the source of strength. I'm tapped into, I'm the vine and uh, the branch. And so I'm tapped into the root of this. My job is to have a good marriage and I'm a dude, so you know we screw up on that and don't do well at that. So we know the reality of, so I'm trying. God, I don't know what to do. But if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And God gives to us what we need to do that. God, I'm trying to raise teenagers, and God, I don't know all what to say, and how do you draw the lines, and how do you have the rules, and when do you say no, and when do you say yes, and how do I balance this out? And you say, God, I don't know what to do, but there's a, there's a divine presence with me that gives me the ability to, to meet. And, and God says that he goes before us, and he speaks to the hearts and minds, and he speaks internally in a way that I cannot do. And he, conviction is the, art, or the, the ability to convince. God can step into my child's mind to convince him to do right and to see what's right and wrong without me doing it myself. When it comes to me trying to reach people, I'm tapped into God that is the power that can sit there and open their eyes and help them to see that I am lost and I need Jesus Christ. That is the way that we were created. It's not me, but the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God, not me. It's God working through me in all these things. But let's back up. Let's just be real. Life is busy. Life is hard. I should get up and read my Bible. I'm just running late. I'm just busy. It's up late. Got up late. Do it tonight. Man, I should, I should be spending more time in prayer, but I'll be honest. I have not even thought about it. Put on Facebook, hey, going through this, praying for you, praying for you. And honestly, I mean, I, I said that, but I didn't really pray for him. Not that I don't care. It's not that I don't care. It's just, I'm just busy. I'm going to teach that Sunday school class, and man, I'm really wanting God to work through this. And to be honest, I went to bed late, and I didn't have time to really study it like I normally would. And, but I mean, I looked over it as we were driving in the parking lot, and I went down there, and I just, do, do you know what happens along the way? We slowly take God out of the equation. In every aspect of our lives. But we still, oh, it's hard, but I'll just push through it. We lose the power that we were created to have to make things happen the way that they should have. To bear fruit or things come out of it or be productive. See, the two things that he was saying was the problem here. is just when you don't see your relationship with God as vital. See, this whole passage, he said, He that abideth in me and I in him. Do you see what he was saying in that? passage the word abide literally means not do more and I think that's our mindset with a lot of things well I do a lot for God and I show up a lot for God I do a lot of Christian things but that's not the word he didn't say he that worketh hard for me he said that he that abideth in me that word abide literally means to dwell to reside to connect to walk through life with Literally meaning that I view God as something that I cannot live without. It's the same way that I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I need coffee. I didn't say I want coffee tomorrow. Did you guys hear me? I'm being honest. I need coffee. Around 1230, I'm going to need lunch. 
You know what I'm going to do when I need lunch? I'm going to drop what I'm doing and I'm going to go get lunch. You say, why are you going to do that? I need it. Say you could live without it. I know, but I need it. My brain won't compute with I could live without it. I need it. See, we've viewed God as optional. That if I can get to it, but if we view God as the water, if we view God as life, we use the spirit and the relationship that I have with God as something that I cannot without me. You can do nothing. Literally mean without my marriage or without God in my marriage and my parenting and everything else. I'm dead. Dead. Do we view God as vital? A statistic was said, and maybe you're tuning in right now, and maybe I hope this gets spread right now. It only took 12 weeks for a large percentage of people that viewed online to stop even tuning in on Sundays to view church online. They stopped viewing it as vital. It was optional. If I can get it in, if I have time for it, if it fits, if I'm not tired, if we don't oversleep, we did oversleep, we'll just view it tomorrow, I'll get it later, and all of a sudden, God gets put on the shelf, and we wonder why we're shriveling up. See, it's not just a matter of viewing God as vital. It's, the problem is also when we are inconsistent or we're not consistent with your relationship with God. That word abide is powerful. It literally means continuous action. It is not one of those things that you connect. No branch do you ever have with anything. Do you bust it off and store it in your house? You go, oh man, that branch isn't doing well. I'll go out there and like stick that back on the tree. You don't do that. Do you know where the branch has to be every day, all day, every single day of its life? On the tree. You break it off, without me you can do nothing. I um, have flower beds around my house and uh, for three years in a row now, I have dug everything up, threw out the dead plants, go to the store, get new plants, put them in the ground, watch them die. Three years in a row. I have started over. Everybody comes and says, oh, I love your plants. You, you, you do great putting a variety in. It's not a variety. Everything died, and I started over because I didn't know what I was doing. The guy, I, I went to Dill's. I got some advice, and they said, you need to go talk to them and see what's going on. And the guy said, well, they need to be in sunlight. I was like, well, they're all in shade. He said, well, then stop buying those over there. They need sunlight. It's like, well, those are cool. He goes, it doesn't matter how cool they are. They need sunlight. So he brought me to a new section. I was like, okay. It was in a shaded section. He said, you need the things that grow in shade. And then he said, how often do you water them? I said, well, when I remember. He goes, when you remember. He goes, do you understand plants need water, especially when they're new like that, every single day? And I'd go before like a week and go like, oh man, do you know when I remembered? It's when I'd go out there and everything was wilted and died. And then I would like, you know, dump buckets on it, trying to revive it back. That's us. He that abideth in me and I in him shall bring forth much fruit. But we have done this. We have literally go through life and like, we should go to church this weekend. Well, we're busy. What else was more important than your relationship with God? And I'm not trying to say that church is everything. But I'm going to tell you that Jesus that died for our sins was the one that created church. He didn't just say it's like salt. Put it on your life if, you know, if, if, if things get dull and you want to spice things up. No, it's a matter of this is vital for your life. If you can't get here because of COVID-19, I totally understand, but you should be tapping into the things of God because the Bible says that the word of God is life. Life. 
Without me, you can't do it. Talk about how did we get that way? How did we start dying out? How did we get so weak? Why, why did God have to say, hey, I'm going to step in. Church, come over here. You're dead. I hate to tell you this. Hey, Christian, you're dead. You've gone so far without the power of God and so far without the working in the presence of God that you've tried to do everything of yourself and you have a reputation that you've done this. But on the inside, I'm going to just be honest. You're dying. I don't want to leave it here because there's a second verse to this. He, he goes from this of church, you can't do it without me. And do you see the problem to there is hope? And that's how our Jesus is. Any way and every way that we ever get into the Bible to get into things like this, God always brings the hope. See, spiritually dying is something that can happen to all of us. It's a slow fade. You know, just like those plants, nobody just gets out of church overnight. Nobody just stops reading their Bible overnight. Nobody just gets out of praying every night. It's just slipping little by little, getting away. We quench the Spirit of God. The Bible says quench not the Spirit of God. Literally mean it's like, it's like a fire. And if that fire goes out because of the fact is we put bad attitudes or sin on it or whatever, we quench the Spirit of God. We extinguish it. But there's hope. Have you ever been camping before? Um, one of the key things that you do at night is you build a fire. If you walk away from the fire, it begins to die out. But you've got to keep putting logs on the fire. After a while, you can go over there and there's just coals in the bottom and it's cool how you can get down there and begin to blow on those coals and it begins to illuminate that flame and begin to stir up those coals in the inside and it brings the fire back. God says in this passage, he says, be watchful and strengthen the things that remain and that are ready to die for I have not found thy works to be perfect. Two things here. Number one, he says, be watchful. He says, are you hearing the warning of God? Because the very fact that God was writing to this church was the very fact that God was trying to tell them, I don't want this to happen. I don't want it to happen. So God is writing in this church. Now, I, I, God works in mysterious ways when it comes to this. You could go back to Peter and say, Peter, how did God wake you up? He says, dude, the rooster crowed three times. And I knew in that moment that I had turned my back on God. Maybe it's a message. Maybe it's today, whatever, that God just says, hey, check your vitals. Things are slipping. But it says, be watchful. One thing that I could say when it comes to this, it was a matter of when I was doing this myself and pushing through. It wasn't until Logan, now listen to this, Logan was caught in the grass. And he was out there and he comes out with a lawnmower and he pushes it up and he says, Dad, it's not working. When it began to, to go on to other people and begin to affect others, I'm like, what is going on? There's a problem here. I told Logan, I said, I'll tell you what, we're going to get this fixed because I don't want to have a lawnmower that has all that power of promise and not being delivered. Hear God's warning, number two. Embrace what is slipping. So be watchful and strengthen the things that remain that are ready to die. Do you understand what God was saying with that? He literally was saying in that passage, he says, hey, listen, Whatever it is, you're sitting there in church right now and God says, I'm not done with your worship and I'm not done with you in that relationship. You sat across, you know, going through life and you sat that Bible down and you sat your prayer aside, whatever. God says, strengthen those things. Go back and say, God, tomorrow it's you. And today as I stand to sing these words, God, I'm not going to be thinking about the people around me. It's you. And God, when it comes to my relationship with you, it's going to be you nothing else. I've allowed these things to slip. That's what he said. The, strengthen those things that remain. It's not done with you. 
I don't care where you are at in your life. I don't care how far you've slipped. I don't care how cold your Christian life is. I don't care how dead you feel. God is not done with you. Not. It says strengthen those things. Do you realize what God does just like with Adam? Comes up to him. And that God that can make dead things live. That God that raised Jesus from the dead. Breathe. That's what the Spirit of God does. All of a sudden, I have a drive and a love and a passion that I've been missing. And those words now are different. And I want to hear what God says. And honey, we're going to church. What's wrong with you? I don't know. Something's happening. And God, raise his spirit. It's not weird. It's just the visual of what God does. And maybe today, through the message, whether you're listening online or you're here in person, maybe today that's what God's doing. God just says, be watchful. I have big plans for you. You don't have to go through this life powerless. You don't have to go through life constantly defeated. You don't have to go through this just saying, where's God and why isn't it like it used to? God says, just go back and strengthen those things which remain. And allow the Spirit of God to make that which was dead come alive in your life. 